This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. So let me just kind of review where we are in this series. This is a series where we're asking God, help us to tune into your voice. We want to hear you. The Bible says that your word is life to us. And so we need it. We need to hear you. And in the first week, we looked at a passage of scripture where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. And we learned in that message that we can learn to recognize God's voice. It's a process. Just like all communication is a learning process, we can learn to recognize the voice of God. The second week, we looked at a a statement that Jesus made in John 15, where he said, I no longer call you servants, and now call you friends. And in that, he gave us the grand invitation to enter into a friend relationship with the Son of God that we can, to the person of God, relate just like we would a friend. What's a friendship built on? Communication. It's constant communication. That's what God wants with you. He wants to be your friend. And then in the third week, we talked about what it would actually take. How do we position ourselves to hear from God? Setting an appointment, being still, reading the Bible, and then journaling after we've heard the voice of God. We went through that, and we also went through the steps of what it would take to kind of confirm that that is indeed the voice of God speaking to me. And during that message, I kind of told you the story of me going fishing in uh, Montana, going fly fishing on the Bighorn River. And, you know, one of the things that shocked me is that when, when I went fishing growing up around here, we went fishing because we were hungry and we wanted to eat some fish. That's the only reason. We were going to have fish fry. So we'd go catch fish, and then we'd cook the fish, and then we'd eat the fish. But when we went fly fishing in Montana, I've always heard that trout are very good fish. I've ordered them at restaurants before. But every time they caught a fish, they put it back. I didn't understand this. And so I asked one of our guides, I said, why do, why do we always put the fish back? I mean, aren't these supposed to be good? And he's like, I'll, if you really want one, I'll keep it for you. But here's what I found, is that the joy of letting it go doesn't compare, right? It's not even, that joy is so much greater than the joy I get from keeping it. I think that truth is true in many ways in life. We think about God blessing us, and a lot of times we get selfish about God's blessings, but the truth is God never blesses you just to bless you. He blesses you to bless somebody through you. And there's so many lessons, just practical lessons, where God displays this truth to us. One of those is just a a, a natural phenomenon that we see in Israel. There, there are two what we would probably call lakes, but they're called seas in Israel. If we look at a map there, there's the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. They're both connected by the Jordan River. Now, these were the settings for many stories in the Bible. You may remember the time that Jesus was on the lake or on the sea and the storm came up and he spoke to the storm and calmed it. That's the Sea of Galilee. All right, the time that he spoke to the fishermen who threw their nets out on the other side, the Sea of Galilee. And the difference between those two seas is that the Sea of Galilee has an an entrance and an exit. The Jordan River flows into it and flows out of it. But the Dead Sea only has an entry point. And because it only has an entry point, the, the chemical makeup of the water in the Dead Sea 
can no longer support life. There's nothing alive in it. I think that that's a truth that many of us need to understand. That when we become only a receptor of the blessings of God, it doesn't bring life, it actually just brings death. God blesses you so he can bless through you. I mean, have you ever played with firecrackers? We live in North Carolina, all of y'all have. I know when you were a teenager, you lit some Roman candles and shot them at your friends. I know you did, okay? But have you ever seen anybody like mess up with a, with a firecracker where they light it and they for, forget to throw it or it just goes off too quick and it goes off in their hand? If your hand is open when it happens, you may get a burn on your hand. But if you hold that firecracker like this, it's going to be very destructive. See, I, I want you to see a reality that's so important for us to understand about the blessings of God is that God's blessings are meant to be held with an open hand. They're meant to be held with an open hand, not to be held onto. See, God doesn't just want to bless you. He wants to bless through you. And when we hold with the closed fists, nothing goes out. It always stays. I think blessings of God are a lot like those fish, aren't they? that there's more joy in giving them away than keeping them to ourselves. There's more joy than in giving them away. There's more joy. And some of us don't understand that. We, we just don't. You, you look at that person that, that is generous and gives away a lot of money, and you keep asking yourself, why do they do that? Don't they know they can buy more stuff with that money? It just doesn't make sense. And on the other side, they're looking at you going, they just don't get it. They think that life is made up of an abundance of stuff. But Jesus said it this way in Acts 20, 35, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That the, the quantity of blessing that comes when we give away is not even comparative to what we get when we receive. And so many of us have gotten so caught up in what we receive that we're afraid to give it away. And you may not even know it, but your life's starting to look a little bit like the Dead Sea because God's blessing you, but it's just stopping with you. It's not flowing through you. And is there really truthfully any better blessing that God gives us than his voice that the God of the universe would speak to you and speak to me I'd submit to you that there's not as a matter of fact we're going to talk about doing just that being the kind of people that receive God's word but then share God's word today in the scriptures that would be called being a prophet so I want you to touch your neighbor and say I'm a prophet <laughs> now touch him back and say I knew you were going to tell me that because I'm a prophet too All right, today we're going to go to Numbers chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn in there. If you have your phones, you can uh, kind of fast forward in your Bible app to Numbers chapter 11. Let me set the context for you, okay? Um, Israel has escaped Egypt where they were being tortured and abused and they went through the Red Sea on dry ground and God miraculously delivered them. Now they're in, um, uh, went through a test where God had promised them a, a, a new land, 
but they kind of failed the test. They didn't put their faith in God. So now they're wandering around in the desert for a period of time. As they're wandering around in the desert, God is providing for them miraculously. How many of you know that God still provides for us miraculously? That God is taking amazing care of us. But you know what the people of, of Israel started to do? As every Can you imagine this? Every day they wake up and food had rained down out of the sky. God provided. And you know what they started to do? Complain. Because it was the same thing every day. They got bored. God, you're taking too regular care of us. Could you just vary the menu a little bit? Can you imagine the audacity of that? We do it too, don't we? We complain about the silliest of things. If you've ever led people, either in a corporate environment or a business environment, maybe in teams, people always have this unbelievably selfish idea of what should happen to them. And Moses in Numbers 11 is caught in between the will of God and trying to lead a group of people that are complaining about how God is providing. And he prayed a prayer. I think pastors pray this prayer a lot. He said, God, if you love me, will you kill me, please? <laughs> please, just kill me. And God said, no, I'm not going to do that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to appoint 70 elders from among your people, gather 70. I want, seven, I want you to find 70 men that can help you lead. And so we pick up there in Numbers eleven twenty four. So Moses went out and reported what the Lord's words, or reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. So just so you understand, the tabernacle is kind of like a portable church, all right? They set the church up wherever they were the next day. So there's the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this never happened again. Pay attention to that. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Never happened again. Now, I want you to understand the background, that there have been several times up to this point where the Spirit of God in a tangible way has come down and rested on Moses, and Moses has spoke as a prophet on behalf of God. This is where we got the Ten Commandments from, Okay. So God has spoken to and through Moses several times. And it happens in this moment as these 70 men are gathered that the spirit of God comes down, rests on them, and they prophesy. Now, something weird starts to happen. I want you to see this. And it wasn't weird that they were prophesying. Numbers 11, now in verse 26, two men, Eldad and Medad, and there may have been another one named Yodad, but we don't know for sure. <laughs> Eldad and Medad had had stayed behind in the camp. Now, they were listed among the elders. So these two guys were supposed to be in the church service, but they stayed back in the camp, okay? Look at what happened. But they had not gone to the tabernacle, yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied right there in the camp. And one of Moses' confidants and kind of his second-in-command, Joshua, was in the camp when this happened. Now, understand that up until this point, part of the way that Moses has led is because he has been the one that God is speaking to. 
And so Moses is, is the authority because God has elevated him to become the authority. God is speaking through him. So Joshua observes these two men in the camp begin to prophesy. And he comes back and is concerned and reports back to Moses. And look what Moses says in Numbers eleven twenty nine. Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. And I want you to see a truth that's right there in that scripture contained throughout the rest of the whole Bible. And this is the first thing in your notes today that we can all prophesy. We can all prophesy, every single one of us. And it's actually a, a, a pattern that God wants to, to use within the body of Christ to encourage us. God, God wants it for us. He wants it for his people. The prayer that, that Moses prayed right there, I wish that all the Lord's people would prophesy and that the Spirit of God would rest on them all is a prayer that reflected the heart of God. So when we fast forward, there's a prophet that would appear several hundred years later. His name was Joel. Joel is going to predict accurately that there's going to come a day that the Spirit of God will not move just upon select fews, but it will rain down and minister through all flesh. And then we fast forward to the moment after Jesus has been on the earth, where now there are people who are following Jesus. They have had intimacy with him. He has died on the cross, been resurrected and ascended into heaven and they stayed behind waiting for what he promised which was the coming Holy Spirit. And there's this moment where the Holy Spirit shows up and these people spill over out into the streets and Peter preaches a sermon. If y'all think you've ever heard a good sermon, it's never probably compared to the message that Peter preached that day when without any kind of worship band, without any kind of microphone, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. That's remarkable. And in that message, he said this, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Keep that verse up there. I want you to see how broad this promise is. Okay? It begins with sons and daughters. All right? understand that he's not just speaking to in those days what would have been the religious elite, which, which, which would have been male leadership. No, sons and daughters. This was a provocative thing to invoke in that moment. Your sons and your daughters. And look how he goes here. And I will pour out my spirit even on my servants. Men and women alike. See, servants in that context is not just representing those people who followed God. It's representing a social class of people that would have been servants. In this moment, God is saying, my spirit is going to pour out on everybody. No matter what your gender is, no matter where you fall socially, my desire is that my spirit would pour out on all of you. And Peter says, this is the moment. So some of y'all might be wondering, well, what is prophecy? Prophecy, just to be simple so we can debug this, and we're going to spend some time trying to do that, that prophecy is getting a message from God and giving it to someone else. Just that simply, okay? Just that simple. It's getting a message from God, hearing God speak to you, and then sharing it with somebody else. And God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. You know, in Numbers 11, we see the Holy Spirit come down and rest on 
the, the elders, don't we? That's how they prophesied. But then if you paid attention, it said that they did that no more because the Holy Spirit left. But there's a difference that happened when Jesus showed up. If you look in John chapter one, when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, it depicts the moment of his baptism, and it says that from heaven, the Holy Spirit came down, rested on him, and remained with him. If, if you've ever wondered, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise that the Holy Spirit not only will be a part of our lives, but will remain in our lives. And that's what we see beginning with Jesus. So when we look in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives, spiritual gifts, especially the ability to prophesy. So let me ask you, keep that verse up there. How many of y'all, let's just be really honest, and I want you to raise your hand if this fits you. How many of y'all would honestly say, like, I want people to look at me and think that I loved people well. I, I'm, love, loving people is a really high goal for me. Raise your hand if that's you. All right. A lot of hands should go up with that, right? Many of us. But now let's, let me ask you the second part of that question. How many of y'all would honestly and accurately say, hey, you know what? I, I really do want the gifts that God wants to give me. Raise your hand if that's you. All right? A lot of hands. Now, how many of y'all would say, I really want to prophesy? Only like two or three of you, right? Why is that? I think that many ways that it's because we haven't understood the power that's associated with God speaking through us. And we've mystified it with this sort of predictive ability to predict what's going to happen in the future when it's really just simply hearing from God and sharing what God's told you. You know, one of my favorite stories comes from a friend. His name is Steve. And God uses Steve to speak to a lot of people from time to time. He's very encouraging. He's one of those people that you want to spend time with. And he was close in on his home. He was, you know, kind of one of those moments when they were waiting in the bank and they hadn't been there very much. They just filled out some applications and they were in there to kind of sign some documents and they were hurried into a back office and they sat down with the very petite woman behind the desk and they began to sign things and Steve was a little nervous about what was happening. You know, you buying a house, it's a big deal. And he was praying a lot. God, you know, is this what you want me to do? Are you sure about this? God, I just I put my confidence in you. And in the moments of his prayers, he began to sense that God wanted him to speak to the very petite lady that was filling out his paperwork, the lady that worked at the bank. And he felt like God wanted him to tell her that she was pregnant. Now, let me just tell you, Okay. It's not a wise thing to tell people, okay? And if you ever feel like the Lord has told you to tell somebody that they're pregnant, you need to know for sure that it was the Lord that told you that. So he started to pray, God, I don't want to tell her that. I don't want to do that. No. And God just began to impress it upon him and impress. And finally, towards the end, when they were about to wrap up, he said, you know what? He said, I'm, 
I know this is going to sound really stupid, but I can't get away from it and I'm going to feel horrible if I don't be obedient. I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you today that you're pregnant. And she was very little. And she stood up from behind that big desk and she poked out her stomach. And she was showing. <laughs> she said, well, duh. <laughs> and he said, you know, I've been wrestling. I couldn't see your stomach the whole time. And I've been sitting here, and I felt like the Lord told me to tell you that when we walked in, and I've been wrestling with it. And he said, I just know that the Lord wants you to know that he sees you, and he knows you're pregnant, and he's going to take care of you. And she just busted out into tears. She said, you know, we've lost two babies. And all throughout that, I always wondered if God saw me, if he knew what was going on. I just felt like I was so alone. But in this moment, I guess I can see that God's been there the whole time. So you don't ever know what a text message or a call would ever mean to anybody when God prompts you to do it. And so many of us are scared to step into that because we've seen what is the prophetic used to be manipulative. But I want you to know, number two in your notes today, that prophecy is not manipulative. It's not. As a matter of fact, there are times throughout Scripture where God speaks directly to this and gives us great wisdom and insight in a way not to be this way. In Jeremiah 23, 25, we find there's a group of people who are starting to say, this is God. When it wasn't God, it was them. And look at what God has to say. I've heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make people forget my name just like their ancestors did. People were taking God's name and manipulating people with his name. That's not prophecy. And so last week I gave you three things to test what maybe you think God's saying to you. I want you to know that those three questions are good questions to test what you think God may be saying to you through somebody else. Number one, does it line up with his word? Because God's voice never contradicts God's word. Number two, what does godly counsel and biblical authority in your life say about what they've told you? And number three, do you have God's peace over it? And I would even add, do you feel encouraged? And you're going to see why I'm going to ask that. But look at what he continued in Jeremiah 23, verses 30. Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal one another who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I'm against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare, the Lord declares. And I think that it's so easy to sit back in our chairs and say that's a bunch of other people that's never been me, but I want you to see that for many of us, it has been us. I mean, as a matter of fact, this connects to one of the oldest and most simplest commands that we've ever heard come out of the Ten Commandments, where in Exodus 20, verse 7, the Bible says you should not take the name of the Lord in vain. 
For the Lord will not find him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what does it mean to be vain? You ever thought about that? It means to be selfish, doesn't it? If you looked at somebody and said they're vain, it just simply means they're self, self-concerned, self-centered, self-interested. So when we take the name of the Lord in vain, it is not cussing and using his name, okay? Taking the name of the Lord in vain means to selfishly apply the name of God to your circumstances in your life. So I want to give you three ways that we do this. Three ways that we all do it. How do we try to use God's name in a manipulative way? Number one, we do it with false promises. False promises. Y'all ever moved before and you know you can't move on your own? You need your friends to come? Right, you know that, right? And so you call your friends when you're about to move and you say, listen, if you come over, I promise to God the next time you move, I'm going to come help you. You didn't mean it. You didn't mean it, but you said it. And you made a false promise to manipulate somebody into doing something that you think you need. Number one, a false promise. Number two, we make false predictions. Most of the people that I've seen in life that do this do it honestly out of love. And it's often parents. And I want to caution you. Have you ever heard a parent do something like this? Now I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You ever heard that before? I'm going to tell you what. You keep going out with that boy, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You keep running with that crowd, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Let me, let me just give you some advice. Don't ever say I'm going to tell you what's going to happen unless the Lord's spoken to you about what's going to happen. And number three, make, we make comments under false pretenses. False pretenses. And this is where we hijack the name of God and put the name of God under our own authority. Can I just tell you something? You don't have any authority over God. You don't have any authority over his name. And so when you hijack his name and put it under your authority, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain. Can I tell you how we do this sometimes? It typically begins with the Lord told me to do. Well, the Lord told me to tell you this. No, he didn't. The Lord told me, here's one that happens often. The Lord told me to write you this email that's really mean. No, he didn't. The Lord told me to write you this card or this note that tells you how you've made me really mad. No, he didn't. Because you know how I know he didn't? Because in the scriptures, God tells us that if we have something between someone, you know how we're supposed to work it out? Face to face. Not in a one-sided conversation. That's a letter that you write to somebody. So we said the Lord told me to, but really what we did is we hijacked the name of the Lord, and put it on our own will or our own way. See, because I want you to see this, and this is so important. Number three in your notes today. The prophecy is always encouraging. It's always encouraging. Always. 1 Corinthians 14 says this of the prophetic, one who prophesies, 
strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. We could probably lump all three of those things into encouragement. Encouragement, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting that prophecy encourages. Can I just think about the word encouragement with you for a moment? What does it mean to encourage somebody? In the English, the prefix in means to put into, and then you have the root word courage. It means to put courage into somebody. But how many of you know that oftentimes when we begin a conversation with the Lord wanted me to tell you, actually what ends up happening is we discourage people. And we take courage out of them. Isn't it interesting that the book of Romans says that he leads us to repentance through kindness? But oftentimes we try to lead other people to repentance through judgment and oppression. The word of God as it comes through us is always supposed to be encouraging. Look at this moment. There's a guy in the scripture, especially in the book of Acts, that we call Barnabas. You may not know his backstory, but we find it in Acts 4, verse 36, that Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, his mom and dad called him Joseph, but the apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. See, Barnabas was so encouraging that they just called him. You're like the son of encouragement. They just nicknamed him because he was so encouraging. Can I just ask you today if your friends had to give you a name? Would it be son of encouragement? Or would it be son of anger? <laughs> son of discouragement? Would they call you a son of encouragement? Because I believe that God wants to use you to encourage people. What does encouragement look like for us as we encourage other people? Let me give you three things of how we should encourage. Number one, we encourage them to be who God's word has called them to be. We encourage them to be who God's word has called them to be. You have those friends and those families and, and you, they don't see in themselves things that you see in them. You see strength, they see frailty. You see accomplishment, they see failure. There are times that we need to call people to see in themselves what God sees in them, to strengthen them. You've had people who've done that to you before, haven't you? People when you thought you couldn't that told you that you could. Number two, we encourage them to continue on the journey that God has them on. Can I tell you the truth about any journey that God invites you on? It's not going to be easy. It might be difficult, but it will be rewarding. But you need to get this in you, that you're going to need people to come up to you along the way and encourage you. We all need encouragement in the journeys of life. And you need to be that kind of person that's encouraging the people that are around you as they take steps and step out into what God's called them to do. And lastly, we need to encourage them to turn to God. There are times that we see our friends that are turning to substances or turning to relationships, turning to bad advice, but in those moments we need to have the presence of mind to since God's speaking to us to redirect them, that their hearts would be focused on God himself. 
Have you ever felt that nagging voice inside of you that you wanted to share a scripture with somebody you were praying, and maybe reading your Bible, and it came up? You thought, I just really want to share that with somebody. That's prophecy. You ever had the desire to send somebody a note, maybe a card, and just say, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I want you to know I'm thankful for who you are. That's prophecy. You ever had that, that moment when you're driving along and you think of somebody and you, you're so thankful for them and you just want to send something to them, just say, I'm thankful for you. I just want you to know what a difference you made. Keep going. Keep trying. Keep pushing. That's prophecy. And can you imagine what the body of Christ, what the church would become if all of God's people, the prayer that Moses prayed in Numbers 11, if all of God's people would prophesy. You'd go to bed on Sunday, on Saturday night, just saying, I can't wait to get up and go to church tomorrow. I just need, I'm so discouraged, but I need the encouragement I'm going to get. You would all throughout the week, instead of being focused on your problems, you would be listening to God and sharing what he's given you. Can you imagine what that would look like to a world that is grasping for hope in every place that often can't even provide the hope that it claims it can? What would it look like? I can tell you what it would look like. That all of a sudden, this movement that we call Christianity and our church here in this county would be much more inviting than it is because we would be so concerned about encouraging one another. And what does it say to you about the heart of our God who wants to enlist an army of his people to encourage? It should remind you today that he loves you and he wants you. And he's not going to stop at anything until he gets you. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you. You're so good to us. You take such good care of us. And God, in many ways today, we're, we're just, we're lost without you. As some of us have spent the past few weeks and maybe this past season of life, we've just been discouraged we feel like there is a, a drain in our, in our foot and somehow somebody tripped that drain and we've lost all the, the courage that was inside of us. God, all of it has drained out. Lord God, Lord, we need you. Because real encouragement, well, it comes from you. So with every head down, every eye closed, nobody getting up or moving for a moment, let me just ask if that's you today. Did you come in today feeling empty? Feeling like you just, you just needed something from God? You didn't know what. Maybe you didn't know how to express that today. But the past few weeks, maybe the past few months, this last season of life has just been discouraging. And right now, you know that, that somewhere in your heart, you've disconnected from an encouraging God, a God that wants to speak to you and love you and care for you in a way that only he can. And maybe right now in this moment, you sense the Lord calling you to put down your will Put down your way and commit your life to following him. Who is that today? Raise your hand if that's you. Who is that? 
Who needs to make that step to make that commitment to Jesus? Raise your hand if that's you today. I'm going to ask another question. I want you to be honest with yourself. If you came in today feeling discouraged, and you just want to say to God, God, I'm going to look to you. I know that you're the lifter of my head, and I'm going to trust in your encouragement. Pray, just raise your hand if that's you today. That's awesome. And lastly, if you're that person in here today and you sense that God wants to use you to speak to some folks, He's going to use you to encourage somebody. And maybe today you, you just kind of want to say, God, God, whatever it is, however you want to speak through me, I'm going to submit myself to you. God, come do it. Raise your hand if that's you. Awesome. God, thank you. Thank you for this moment and this challenge to let our hearts be pointed to you, to listen to you. And then, God, that we can ultimately share the words that you give us that bring life to others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.